social media. You don't have to have 10,000 followers. You don't have to have the perfect grid. You don't have to hire a professional photographer. And you most definitely don't have to wait for perfect for your social media strategy. You just have to start. You simply need to find a way to invite people into your world, and today's guest is here to help you get started with just that, because sometimes starting can be the hardest part. Do you ever scroll back to your very first social media post and have a little giggle? I can't help but laugh when I peek at my earliest days on social media. It's chock full of low quality photos of my food or my coffee mug, accompanied by two word captions or no caption at all. And my feed just generally had no consistency or flow. And in those early days, I was using social media solely to entertain myself. And I most certainly didn't have a strategy. But everyone starts somewhere, right? And even though I've come to love all things social strategy, I did not always have a clear vision for how social media could support, enhance, or even transform my business for the better. The starting phase is easily the hardest part because so often we get hung up on trying to perfect everything and then we just get overwhelmed and do nothing instead. Does that sound about right? Today's episode of the Workshop Weekly Podcast is all about paring it down, simplifying your approach, and removing the barriers to entry so you can reset your social strategy or just start if you're at ground zero. By the end of this episode, I want you to have the knowledge and tools and aha moments that you need to step into it, own it, and start honing the voice and strategy you need to grow and support your business. And I want you to see that it doesn't have to feel overwhelming. Today, we're talking to a very special guest, social media guru and strategist, Jeff Roach, who also happens to be my husband. (laughs) We are discussing the super simple steps that you need to be taking to start off on the right foot with social, or if you've already started, what you can do to give your social strategy a little makeover and get it back on track starting today. Okay, let's do this. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to my podcast. How's it going? Thank you. I'm doing really well. Thank you. Busiest week I've ever lived, I think. (laughs) Hopefully we get through this. So just to give listeners some context, Jeff is at home in our home studio and I am at the office in our office studio and we probably have something like 15 minutes max before Jude walks in on Jeff (laughs) trying to record this. So this has been the story of our life for the last six months. You'd think we'd be used to it by now. We're managing. Anyway, I'm excited to have you on the show to talk all things social media. I've been thinking for a long time that listeners can learn. That was actually your first one, but we killed that one. 
Yeah, we did. So <laughs> full disclosure, we <laughs> already recorded one. That was your and training podcast. Yeah, and I <laughs> killed it. And so this is the new and improved version of our podcast. And I'm really excited for you to share with listeners today all things about social media marketing and strategy. But before we get to that, why don't you talk a little bit about how you landed into the world of social media strategy and the types of things that you do day to day? Okay. Well, quickly, I started a company in Vancouver, private medical company. I got way more interested in marketing and communicating to our target audience and understanding how to promote that company that when I moved to the East Coast, I focused more on that, on communications and ran a accelerator program from 2005 to 2010, established one here in Atlantic Canada called Propel. Was the only paid employee and really had to use whatever resources I had available to me to make what we were trying to do known. And so social media just emerged around right in the middle of that. And so I took advantage of it. I actually remember when LinkedIn asked me to upload a photo. It was the first time anything on the internet ever asked me to upload a photo. And my board all made fun of me at our next board meeting. What are you doing putting your photo on the internet? <laughs> was it that photo where you had the really fluffy hairdo and like a dress shirt on? Oh, probably. And much darker hair. Hysterical. <laughs> yeah. I can totally picture that photo. If I can find it, I'm going to throw it into the show notes for a good time. Anyway, I need to say that for listeners, Jeff is the reason why I got into marketing for the most part, because I was an occupational therapist and working for corporate healthcare. And the social media train was coming into the station like around, I don't know, what would you say, like circa 2008, 2009, 2007. Starting to become mainstream around there, yeah. And Jeff was reading books. And at one point, I picked up one of the books and it was called Trust Agents and it was written by Chris Brogan. And I read it cover to cover, which I don't do very often. Sometimes (laughs) I read like a few chapters and I'm like, okay, I get it. And I put the book down. But This book actually changed my life and it changed the way I looked at the world and the way that it was responding to social media in those early days. And Make sure you mention Chris when you post this. (laughs) Yeah, I will, for sure. I recommend his book all the time and it's probably a 15-year-old book by now, but I still think it's super relevant. But I want to ask you to talk a little bit about the premise of that book because it was a really pivotal read for me. It led to me quitting my job because At that time in corporate healthcare, all social media was on lockdown. Like you weren't allowed to access it at all. And I just thought, this is insane. We need to like have better foresight than this. So can you talk a little bit about the premise of the book Trust Agents by Chris Brogan? It was really kind of a ratcheting up from the concept of a thought leader. You know, people talked about thought leaders before that. Someone who really knows their subject matter that others might want to follow on social media and get to know. And while that's still an important thing, a trust agent is deeper. A following gets built around a trust agent. It's more than just someone with knowledge. It's someone who you turn to on a particular subject matter. And that's what Chris is really saying is that that's what you need to be. If you're going to use social media effectively, if you're going to really nurture a two-way relationship with your audience, you need to become a trust agent. So yeah, you're right. That is one of the more powerful books that I recommend too. I'm hoping that you can talk a little bit now, just to give you some context. I think many of our listeners are probably using social media. I think that many of them probably feel like they're not using it strategically enough, if at all. And in a lot of cases, I think that they kind of get caught up in this cycle of feeling like they're throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. And 
not really being strategic about using social media to drive their business. So I'm hoping that you can share like a few of your top tips and advice for listeners to get more strategic with their social media and how they use it for their business. Well, I guess the first thing I would start with is who are you trying to talk to? Like it's really basic and I apologize if what I'm saying is too basic. Maybe it'll sound profound after it comes out, but you often hear that the best businesses are the ones that the people running it are the customer because then it becomes way easier to build a product or service or speak to an audience if you're that audience, if you're one of those people. That's the first thing you need to know is who is it that you're trying to reach and then really trying to get in their head. So when it comes to social media, of course, you'd think, okay, well, if I really understand who this person is I'm trying to reach, what social networks do they use? So that's a really basic question to ask, but I do find it puzzling sometimes to come across a business or organization or product that is using channels that to me, don't really fit with the audience that they're probably trying to reach. And that's really a function of getting in your target audience's head and really understanding who are they and what do they care about. That would be the next layer of strategy, is trying to identify who cares about this. Who is likely to care? Because when you can speak directly to people who are likely to care about what it is that you're sharing, you're going to save a lot of money, for one thing, because your marketing is going to be very targeted and narrow. and It's really difficult to build any kind of strategy without knowing those really basic things. I think it gets lost on a lot of people when they're doing this is they don't know who they're talking to after a while. I think you're right. And I just want to do like a little shameless plug for episode 004 because it's all about (laughs) how to hone and target and discover and research your target customer or your ideal customer. Yeah, that was a really good one. And it's one of the fewest downloaded episodes. So Either people are skipping that step altogether or they think, oh, I've got that figured out and they're not downloading that episode. But for whatever reason, it's one of the least downloaded episodes. And in my opinion, it is the most important one that is out there right now. This one that we're recording is episode 29. So of the 30 episodes that I have out there, that one, in my opinion, is the best, most important thing for your business. So I think you're right. I think most people are kind of overlooking this exercise in discovering who your target customer is because they feel like it's hocus pocus or it's silly because you're envisioning this fake person and you don't really know who they are and it seems like a silly exercise. So do you have any advice on what people can do to really kind of dig into who that person is? That's a tough one. That's human psychology. I'm thinking more in the tactical sense. So what things do you do with clients, for example, to discover who they're talking to on a deeper level? The first thing I do with a client is I find out what they know about their customer. Fortunately, I've had clients in recent years who really do understand their customer. They know who they're talking to. And I want to know from them what it is that lights up their customer. What are the things that you've done for them or said to them that really kind of spark their interest or questions that were asked that sent your business in a different direction as a result? Because those things are what help kind of shape who this person is that you might be talking to. So getting in their head first and really understanding what they know usually sends me off in a direction where I can look at, start with a short list of attributes or qualities or interests of that target customer and then do some research around that. And it just kind of takes you down a bit of a rabbit hole. You research hashtags. What hashtags do they use? That's a simple one. It's not super nuanced, but it's a place to start. And then you usually come across keywords, phrases that are often used interests that are in common among that group and you can start to kind of design a profile of who they are. But like I said, 
if you are the customer, it's way easier because you already know what you're interested in. You already know what makes you want what it is that you sell. I want to interrupt for a quick sec to tell you about a product that I've recently come across. I have never been a fan of wearing pantyhose. Most of the time after one wash, they would pill and tear. And honestly, it always just felt like an enormous waste of money to own them. Then came Sheertex. The strongest pantyhose in the world delivered right to my door in the cutest little box. Their fibers don't exist anywhere else on the market. They actually miniaturize the fibers used in bulletproof vests to create a knit just as strong as the people who wear them. You basically have to be Hulk to rip these things. And they have quickly converted me into a person that raves endlessly about my shears. I don't want you to miss out. So head over to kellylawson.ca slash sheertex, S-H-E-E-R-T-E-X, and use the code kellyslawson10 to save 10% on your new pair of shears today. I've heard it said that you should talk to 10 or 20 people just like you who want the same thing. And I guess in context with what your product or services that you're selling. And one of the really most important things is to dig into their pain because that's where the emotion lies. And we are emotional beings. And often that's what leads us to make a purchase or to convert whatever language you want to use. And so I understand that digging into that pain and talking to, you know, I've heard people say 10 or 20, I've heard some say 100. And then you start to identify patterns because when you have kind of a small sampling in your research, like of one of yourself, (laughs) that's a little bit of a dangerous thing because you don't know how repeatable that is. And you're not really able to validate those emotions or those pains just based on one person. Is that true? (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely true. (laughs) Yes, it's definitely true. The reason I'm laughing is the way you asked me the question at the very end there. Cute. (laughs) Yes, that's very true. You need to talk to many people. You need many different inputs, but then it becomes narrower and it really needs to become narrower. It needs to become more specific. You can't speak to everyone. The broader the audience you try to speak to, the more expensive it's going to be. Sometimes I even will tell my clients this little simple exercise. Take a post that you've posted to Facebook and try to boost it. Try to advertise on it. And look at the questions that they ask you the geographic location, the interests, the job descriptions. As you go through the exercise of trying to spend money to reach an audience with this content, you start to realize what kind of questions you need to have answered for your target customer. Where are they? What are their interests? What are their job descriptions, generally speaking? Those are the boxes you're going to have to check in order to reach that audience. You know, if LinkedIn is your channel, try that. Twitter's a really difficult one. Unless they've changed things very recently, you pretty much have to reach a national audience and it's quite expensive. So it's not a serious tool yet, but there are lots in our industry who think that they're on the verge of coming out with a product that's more competitive to Facebook in advertising. But right now, Twitter is very hard to justify as a small business or entrepreneur. So I hear from business owners that I know for sure that they struggle with managing all of the platforms. I mean, now there's LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook. And I don't know what I'm missing, but there's probably more. What do you recommend for people who are being strategic with social media? How many platforms do you recommend they pay attention to? I don't think it comes down to a number. It really comes down to where is your audience and where do they spend their time. But you rarely find that they're on more than three channels. 
Like, I don't think you need to really focus on five or more channels, although you'll probably have a YouTube account, not because you're expecting necessarily to build an audience on YouTube, but because that's where your videos are going to reside to share on other platforms and in your blog or wherever it is you're going to put it. So you want it to have a life on YouTube, for example, if you've got video. But then you turn around to Facebook. If you post a YouTube link on Facebook, Facebook's algorithm actually shoves it down. So you need to upload your videos natively on YouTube. Same with Instagram. So you need to kind of understand, like once you've decided where your audience is located, what channel they're on, then you need to really understand what the features are of that social network. By channel, I mean social network. I just learned this week that I was using a little bit of jargon when I said that. I think you're likely to end up with two or three channels. The social networks that you choose really need to be treated like their own communities. How people behave on Instagram is going to be very different than how they would behave on Twitter. It's like the difference between going to a pub versus going to church. Two very different settings, right? So which one is the pub and which one is church? You might drink wine and both. <laughs> <laughs> but once you've chosen those networks, you really need to understand how they work. That's where a lot of these automated services that post the same thing on all channels don't necessarily hit the bullseye for a target audience. They can be fine for unemotional posts, information, that sort of thing. But if you really want to build a following of people that really care about what you're doing, you really need to understand that network. If Instagram is your network, you need to really understand how people behave on Instagram. It's a very unique culture. Same is true of Twitter. Twitter is a very unique culture. It's frightening to a lot of people. It's a wide open social network. You know, then there's Facebook, which is mainstream, and you can get almost any opinion that exists on planet Earth can show up on your post. So tell me what you mean by open platform. So every social network has algorithms that decide what it is that you see. So my stats would be way off. I kind of gave up listening to these stats years ago because they've just become so huge. But I remember hearing a few years back, Facebook used to make it so that everything you posted, your people that followed you would see it. So if you had Kelly Lawson photography Facebook page and you had a thousand likes or followers of your page, whenever you'd post something, a thousand people would see it in their feed. That was many years ago. Then the volume got so loud that they needed to use their algorithm to shove that down. And I remember the year that they announced that they were going to shove it down to about 10 to 20%, meaning that if you post and you've got a thousand followers, 100 to 200 people are going to see that post unless you pay money. So that's where their advertising model emerged. A year or two later, they shoved it down to 1% to 2%. So if you have worked really hard and you've got 1,000 followers on your Facebook page, when you post, only 10 to 20 people will see that post unless you spend money. The good news is that Facebook is the most effective advertising channel that's ever been created. And you can reach your audience for very little money but you definitely have to spend money on Facebook or else it's a complete waste of time. And unfortunately, because Instagram is tied to it, it kind of is there as well. You need to have a budget for Instagram as well. Organic growth is good. Organic traction. So the stuff you don't pay for, you post something and people like it or comment on it, that engagement is really important, but it's almost like a focus group. So you hear what people are saying, you hear what they care about. And then you choose your boosting and your advertising accordingly. So, you know, often a business will spend money to promote a post because the information that the post contains is something that they want everyone to know. But people don't consume content that way. They get it from their friends. They get it through their network. And so you need people to care about it enough that they pass it on to others. 
It's not about shoving something in people's face so that they read it, because no one has to read anything you put in front of them. It's about getting it to people who are likely to care about it so that they start passing it on to their network. And so those comments, that early engagement you get on an organic post becomes valuable because it's almost like a focus group. It tells you, should I spend money on this or not? And when I do spend money on it, who should I show it to? What are the things that the people who are already caring about this content are going to care about so I can reach more people like these people? Back to your question of what is an open platform, an open platform like Twitter is one in which you can see any of the content, whether the algorithm's deciding to show it to you or not. So that's kind of been the hallmark of Twitter. That's why Twitter is the channel that people debate on, because your only alternative is to delete a tweet. And you often hear people getting accused in political stories and news stories because they posted this thing 10 years ago and then they deleted it as if you know, deleting it is a big problem. Sometimes people change their mind or they have a different perspective after a period of time. But Twitter, it's understood that this is living content that anyone can access. It's public. It's like all those other social networks are like private spaces and Twitter is the open forum. It's the open public discussion. I can't think of any other examples. There might be other examples. Is TikTok? TikTok. Actually, I was just going to say that. TikTok is also an open, I mean, it's very heavily algorithm driven as to what it shows you. But because it's shareable outside of the network, I suppose that makes it a more open forum. Like you can get that content no matter whether the algorithm shows it to you or not. I used to feel like I lived in a perpetual Groundhog Day. Every Sunday, I would need to sit down and take time to think about what I would cook for the week, make a list of what groceries I would need to buy, and then go spend hours at the grocery store collecting the ingredients, sometimes needing to visit two or three places to find everything I needed. And still, we felt like we were eating the same meals over and over. Enter HelloFresh. The meals are pre-planned, the groceries are gathered, and everything I need to prepare delicious meals for my family is dropped off at my door once per week. We are discovering new delicious recipes every week. I am getting the hours of meal prep time back. There is no food waste. And best of all, every meal can be prepared in just 30 minutes. Visit kellylawson.ca slash HelloFresh to check out some of my favorite meals and save $40 on your first box. That's kellylawson.ca slash HelloFresh. I just wanted to go back to your point about these kind of utility social platforms like Instagram and Facebook being more or less useless for your business unless you've got some budget to put behind getting what you're posting in front of people who care about it. But it sounds like still at the ground level, you still need to get some of that organic traction in order to determine whether or not it's worth putting any money behind your post. So I'm wondering what recommendations you have for people to get that organic traction. And I find it really interesting because just today, someone who I know listens to every single one of these podcasts, just today she posted something in her stories that I found really interesting. She runs a small business. I'll leave the details out, but she runs a small business. And in her stories today, she posted that basically small businesses struggle because of social media algorithms. And basically she's saying, you're not going to see my content or any small business's content unless you engage with the content. So please, like my posts, comment on my posts, take screenshots, save them, share them in your stories, share them with your friends. So I'm just wondering, what are some of the strategies for getting that organic reach? I mean, that was one that she used. That's a really heavy lift. 
Yeah. So that method would have been a very common prior to Facebook's advertising platform being introduced. So people asking for engagement, asking for likes on their page, asking for this. You don't see it as much anymore. It's a really heavy lift, Kelly. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. It's not a very efficient thing to do. You need to have a budget, even if it's a small budget. And so to get back to answer your question, the way I would get started is to create audiences based on your own assumptions, like anything. It's like science. Start with a hypothesis, and then you prove it or not. I would take a boost. I don't have much engagement on it. I don't really have enough information to know what to do with it. So I create an audience. For me, I create an audience every time I post for a client, pretty much every time, because the post has nuances to it. We don't work in a vacuum. We're trying to, you know, COVID changed things, for example. So it changed things in our culture. So having to kind of read the mood of people, trying to promote a product or service that no one can afford right now, things like that, that kind of tone deafness, you need to kind of listen and pay attention to what's going on and get a sense for things. But once you have a bit of a hypothesis, you create an audience, spend a small amount of money on it. $10, $15, then create another audience for the same post, $10, $15, create three or four audiences for that post, and then check in on it 24 hours and see what the effect has been, who engaged on it and who didn't. Delete the ones that didn't do well, keep the audience that did do well, and then create a few more ad campaigns on that same post with slight variations on the audience that you now know is better than the ones that you deleted. So there's an experimentation to it. But that's kind of how you gather information. These are all things that you can turn to, to your marketing agency or to someone who really, you know, who you hired to do this for you. But I would still want to be involved if I was a business owner. I would still want to be at least looking over the shoulder of the person that's doing this, because this is really important information, not just about how you promote your company, but how you actually build your product or service. It's important business intelligence. I guess that's one of the things that I talk to my clients a lot about is that how you communicate should be very tightly married to how you operate your company. It's a two-way conversation you're having now. It's like an ongoing, massive focus group that never ends, where your customer gets to tell you what they like or don't like. Like, it's really kind of a privilege if you think about it. If you go back in time, 20, 30 years before we had these tools, people would have killed for these kind of tools that could give you this kind of insight into the people you're trying to sell a product or service to, that's really unique. Yeah, and that's the kind of primary market research we were talking about earlier. If you want to get inside your customer's head, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I guess you could tell I find that pretty exciting. Have you guys seen my new website? It's pretty gorgeous. And if I know you, you're probably feeling like your website isn't as good as you'd like it to be, and you're struggling a little to find the perfect solution. Well, my friend, I have some advice for you. Get a Tonic site. Until I discovered Tonic, I was on that struggle bus too. And my Tonic site has forever changed the way I show up online and in my business. Tonic sites are completely customizable, they're code-free, and built with all the best marketing strategies in mind. It's time for you to have a site that looks just as good and probably even better than others in your industry so you can finally stand out in a way that's perfectly unique to you. And today, I'm giving you that extra little nudge that I think you've been waiting for. Save 15%, that's up to $200 on your new site. Just go to kellylawson.ca slash tonic site to find your perfect site and use the code Kelly Lawson to save 15% on your gorgeous new site today. One of my coaches, Caitlin Batcher, just today, asked, I'm in a group where she coaches us. And she said, 
as a business owner, you really have two responsibilities. When you boil it right down, there's two things that you're responsible for. Managing your emotions is number one. And number two is measuring your results. Those are your two responsibilities. So hiring an agency for your ads is probably a great thing to do because it'll save you some time from putting it all together. But you should really understand what those metrics are and what they mean because you need to set goals from that, right? You need to set business goals. You need to make plans. It's not all outputs. It's inputs as well. Exactly. Very interesting. So the other thing that she said today, and she learned this from the founder of Lead Pages, and I believe his name is Clay Collins, or he's, I guess, the former founder now. And he said that basically the most direct path to a million dollars as an entrepreneur is to cut all the fat and basically you focus on one customer, one platform, one product, and one something else that I can't remember right now. (laughs) But everything was like one, one customer. You're not there for five customers. You're there for one customer. You're there to sell one product and you're going to exist on one platform. Because as soon as you start to bring in other social platforms and other customer personas or user personas or buyer personas, whatever you want to call them, then now you're starting to dilute your effort and you're losing your focus. So can you talk a little bit to that or your thoughts around that? Definitely the simpler, the better. So if you are able to narrow your customer right down to one platform, that's awesome. Of course, it would be really great if that platform was one that had a robust advertising platform attached to it, like Facebook or Instagram. But when you know that your audience, well, like you think about Pinterest, you've had some pretty great experiences with Pinterest. That's a very unique culture. I'm not familiar with the advertising platform related to Pinterest or how you even use that. I'm not an expert on Pinterest. I can identify when clients should be using Pinterest, but then I would probably pass it off to someone else from there because I don't have an expertise there. But that is a very unique user on Pinterest. Mm -hmm. And so if you happen to have a target customer that that's their favorite channel and you can focus just on that one channel, yeah, obviously you can be much more effective. What do you know about the Pinterest advertising platform? I actually don't know anything about it. And the good news is that I have a guest coming on in the next few weeks who is a Pinterest expert. And we're definitely going to ask her all of these questions. I spend money on Pinterest because it gets me the results. So when it comes down to like managing my emotions and measuring my results, I definitely am getting more bang for my buck with Pinterest. I hire a VA exclusively to manage my Pinterest account. And I'm able to see the metrics there. I haven't spent a penny on the advertising. I've spent money on having somebody manage it. And so far, it's been heads and tails over any other platform for me. So I've turned my back a little bit on Instagram in recent months because I'm trying to stay focused on using what's most effective. So what would that be for you? Pinterest by a long shot. And then Facebook, I never really fully ever used that for my business, but I'd like to get a little more strategic about using Facebook for my business as well. But I wanted to ask you the question for listeners because I'm thinking that they're thinking, okay, in their heads, they're thinking, okay, I'm going to need to, you know, cough up some budget to make Instagram and Facebook and whatever platform they're using work for my business. But they're probably thinking like, how am I going to know? How am I going to know it's effective? How am I going to know that I'm getting ROI? 
from my 10 or $15 post. At the most basic level, how will they know that it's worthwhile for them? Well, if you're using Facebook and Instagram, or I suppose I only need to say it for Instagram, but you need an account on Business Facebook if you're using those platforms, and they'll give you an ROI right there in the, in the content. You can compare side-by-side side cost per click if that's what you were looking for, or cost per engagement, and you can just see very clearly what you're getting out of it. What's more important is just having the discipline to look at your data. The data's there. The data's good. It's not difficult to understand. And even if you just got a tutorial from someone for a half an hour, you'd be on the right track. So it's not that the data is difficult to reach or difficult to understand. It's that you need to have the discipline to look at it. So, you know, stick it in your calendar. I'm going to look at this every Friday afternoon. I'm going to pour a glass of scotch or a glass of wine and I'm going to look at my data and I'm going to plan what I'm going to do next week with it. It really comes down to that because those platforms, like I said, I don't know Pinterest, I know Twitter and I know Facebook advertising platforms, they'll give you an ROI and it's very clear. They've gamified advertising. They want to make advertising as addictive as possible, just like everything else on their platforms. So they're going to make it very clear that you should put your money right there. It is no secret at all that I love to shop. When I find something I love, I buy it in every color and I live in it. Generally speaking, I dress for casual style and comfort, but I also invest in pieces that go with everything else in my closet. I guess I'm a lover of leverageability in all areas of life. I get asked a lot where I got my clothing items and I try to tag these products as I post them online. But for those of you that want to get a better look at what I'm adding to my capsule each season, head to kellylawson.ca slash mystyle. I'll add the latest and greatest fashion items as I find them and link to the best deals I can find. So make sure you check in regularly and happy shopping workshop warriors. For me, for Pinterest, I look through Google Analytics and I can see the web traffic that I get from Pinterest and then I can see the conversion rate that I get from that web traffic. And at the same time, I can look at kind of not to get too deep into the metrics because I think that that's going to like make people zone out a little bit, but I'm able to see that return that I'm getting. So basically what it comes down to is I get 10 leads per day. So I get 7,500 hits per month to my website from Pinterest and that turns into roughly 300 leads per month. And then of those leads, I'm able to see how many are converting into buying my digital products. So from there, I can make a decision about how much money it's worth spending on things like Pinterest. Although I haven't delved into Facebook and Instagram too much with my business yet, but I plan to start. So you've actually brought up a really interesting point though, Kelly, because you're talking about leads. Leads aren't something that you can reasonably expect from channels like Instagram and Facebook in the same way that you could Pinterest. Pinterest is an action-oriented platform. Instagram and Facebook are true marketing platforms. So if you really understand what marketing is, marketing being the generation of awareness and demand for what you do or what you sell, that's what those are useful for. They're not so much lead generators. They can be, requires a lot more robust setup conversion pixels, measuring those conversions, designing your posts, not so much for engagement, but more to sell. So they can be used for that. But the activity that we've been talking about is really about marketing. It's about building a relationship with people using social media in a social way versus Pinterest, which is more of a lead generator. They're different purposes. You might want to do both. You can do both on some of the channels, but that content is going to be different content. Mm-hmm. The content you share to get people to care about your brand is different than the content you share to get them to buy a product. 
Yes. And one of them is a little easier to measure than the other. Depends on the platform. <laughs> so for people who are listening and they're probably feeling very scared of the thoughts of the back end of Facebook and Instagram and creating ads and measuring the results and all the things, do you have any advice for where people can turn to or resources that people can turn to to understand this a little better or to at least get started with understanding it and creating ads for their own businesses? To back up a little bit, what I've been primarily talking about is engagement, about sharing content that people will care about. So it's not about designing an ad. Like you can go into these platforms and design an ad, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking content that's intended to engage people, that's intended to reach people who would care about it, spending money to show it to more people like them. That's what we're talking about. I know that we did go down a rabbit hole talking about platforms and money and capabilities. So just to get back to the basics, you're trying to get people to care about what you're doing, about what you're selling. You're trying to reach those people and you're spending money to reach more people like them. That's the whole purpose of that. The basics are, who are you trying to reach? Where can you find them? What do they care about? Write that down. Know that really well. And check out episode 004 for help with that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I want to leave with one action item that listeners can do as soon as they're finished listening to this podcast in order to get at least a step closer to being more strategic with their social media for their business. What is one action that you recommend they take when this podcast ends? Take an hour to sit down and think about who your customer is and start surfing the web as if you are that customer. What do you look at? What do you click on? What do you not click on? What social networks do you use? And just be that customer for a little while and try to understand their behaviors. And you'll know where to meet them online when you do that. It's kind of surprising. Like, try to think about, I'm going to use an extreme example or an example with a reputation. Think about government services and your experience with government services, some government services. Don't you often ask yourself, who was this designed for? Did they ever stop and think how a human was going to respond to this method or this process or this service, right? It's an extreme example because we all get it. We've all had those experiences. You have to make sure that you never give your customer that experience. You need to walk in their shoes, spend some time, use the internet because that's where you're trying to reach them, the way that they use it. That's what I recommend you do. And take note. So look at what the Canadian government is doing and do the opposite of that. do the opposite of that. (laughs) Good advice, Jeff. Thank you so much. (laughs) Anyway, I'm really grateful that you came on the show to talk shop with me today. I am also really grateful that we got through this without any interruptions from a seven-year-old. So now I feel like you need to go check and make sure that everything's okay. And thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, honey. Okay. So I told you it doesn't have to be that complicated. You just need to start by really understanding who it is you're talking to, who it is that cares about what you have to say, and how to find more people just like that person. And now, my friend, it is your time to start or at least reset yourself on the right track. 
Walk away from this podcast and take action. Tag me in your beginnings or in your resets so that I can come along with you and cheer you on. And thank you so much for hitting play on another episode of the Workshop Weekly Podcast. Be sure to check out the resources we mentioned in the episode by visiting the show notes at kellylawson.ca slash 029. And until next time, please don't hide your awesomeness from the world. I'll be watching for you. Thanks for listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.theworkshopweekly.com or leave a review on iTunes. And we'll see you next week for another action-packed episode, you workshop warrior you.